It's good to see you out here this morning, and um, I'm excited because we have a special guest preacher that's here with us. His name's Dr. Rob Reamer. Rob and I have become dear friends, and he wrote a very influential book in my own life called Soul Care. This is the book right here, and uh, I know that he wouldn't promote it, so I will. When you exit City this morning, there'll be a table on the left with several books that he has written. You know, as the pastor of a church, God calls us in Scripture, our title is Under Shepherds, Under Shepherds. And under-shepherds are pastors who are held accountable for the health of their sheep. And so as your lead pastor, I take very seriously the health of those people that call City Church their home, their spiritual health. When I came across Soul Care, I knew that God had given us a discipleship process and a deliverance process spiritually whereby people could be set free. We've had well north of 200 people now go through soul care. And so uh, up to twice a year, we've asked Dr. Reamer to come in and be part of what we call Freedom Weekend, where people have been through a six-week discipleship process through this book, and then we spend time in prayer and discipleship pretty much one-on-one with people that have been through the course. And so I really want to encourage you, if you're struggling with things in your soul, you've looked to Christ, you've been looking for freedom, the next time we run Soul Care, please step forward by faith, kind of break through the fear, and step forward and be a part of this discipleship process. So, uh, without any further ado, let's give a warm City Church welcome to my friend, Dr. Rob Reamer. God bless you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. So I've noticed that all people struggle with what I call mind drift. This is how mind drift works. You leave here today, whatever is your greatest pressing problem, your mind will naturally drift towards that. If you just let your mind roll, unattended to, it'll just drift towards your natural greatest pressing problem. If your greatest pressing problem is a relational problem with one of your children or with your spouse, or with a dear friend, your mind will start grinding over that. You'll have imaginary conversations in your head. You'll start to think about having a conversation with that person. It'll just chew on you. If your greatest pressing problem is some problem in the workplace, as you start to drive away and your mind just goes, wherever it goes, it'll start drifting towards your greatest pressing problem. The reason for that is really simple. It's because of the power of fear. Fear is an incredibly compelling emotion. And fear, when it is undealt with and unprocessed in our soul, will always emerge and will start to have these thoughts drifting towards those things that are terribly fearful for us. The question that I want to ask for you this morning as we start is this. Are you aware what role fear plays in your life? Listen, this is a huge problem for the people of God. This is why the number one command in Scripture is fear not or do not be afraid. God says that phrase more than any other phrase in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. It is the single most repeated commandment of the Scriptures. 
And if God thinks he needs to say this more than he says anything else, then it's really imperative for us to ask the question, what role does fear play in my life? Listen, for a long time I grew up in the church and I never asked that question. As a matter of fact, honestly, I never heard a talk on fear, though it's the number one thing God says. I was in church my whole life and no one ever spoke about it. And finally, I came to a place in my life where I realized there was some fear in there. And if I didn't confront it, it was crippling me. And so this morning I want to talk about fear. Here's the good news for you. I want to give you the good news right at the beginning. Jesus is never nervous. He has not had a nervous day in the last two millennial, and he's not planning on having one with you today. So when I am rightly aligned with Jesus, his peace that the Bible says passes all human understanding is imparted to my mind and my heart, to my soul. And I can live in peace no matter what my circumstances because Jesus is always at peace. So I want to figure out how to tap the peace of God and break fear in our lives this morning. I want to look at this passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 4 as we start that just talks about this kind of peace that is available to us just to frame this conversation. Paul is writing, he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is peace available. Fear does not have to have a grip on us. I want to look at a man first today who ruined his life with fear. It actually robbed him of his prophetic destiny. That is, it robbed him of the purpose God had for his life. He's an Old Testament character. His name is Saul. He's actually the first king of Israel. This particular man was called by God to start a kingdom. Not that many people in the history of the planet have started a kingdom, but this man did. When God called him, he gave him very specific words of things that would happen in the very near future, and every one of those things the Lord told him would happen took place. That was to build his faith. That was because the Lord knew this guy had fear inside and he wanted to help him conquer it. We pick up the story, though, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning at verse 3. Jonathan, that's Saul's son, attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear So all Israel heard the news, Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And they went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth Avon. Just pause there for a second. You have to understand a little bit of the context here. The Israelites were once a nomadic people. Now they're farmers. They aren't really warriors. But the Philistines, they're a different breed of people. 
These are people who are iron workers, and so they have iron to work with in weaponry, and they have iron to work with in chariots. They were more sophisticated in their approach to warfare. So what you read, if you read verses 1 to 2, you would have discovered that the Israelites had 3,000 people in their army. Notice this. These guys have 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers. And on top of that, there are foot soldiers. They're all filling in the valley. The Israelites are up on the hillside. They're watching the army of the enemy gather. And needless to say, there is fear in the camp. You pick up the story again. It says, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves, in thickets, among the rocks, in the pits, in the cisterns, Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. That is, they fled their homeland because they were afraid the Philistines not only were going to defeat their army, but take over their homeland. So the troops are starting to disperse because of fear. To Saul's credit, he stays with the troops that remain. We pick up the story. It says, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. They're trembling. He waited seven days. That was the time set by Samuel the prophet. Samuel had told him to wait for seven days, and at the end of seven days, he would come and make an offering. And when he offered this offering, Samuel was a priest and a prophet. When he made this offering, it would seal the Lord's presence in the battle, and he would give them victory. So Saul is waiting for Samuel to come, but he's not coming. The troops are getting more and more afraid, and they're starting to disperse. They're starting to hide. They're starting to run. And finally... Saul takes action. Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. I just want to pause for a second in the story. Listen, if you read any leadership manual out there today, any leadership book that's out there today, they will tell you if you're a leader in the midst of a crisis, you need to take action. You cannot afford to sit around passively. You must act. Saul does what any leadership manual would tell him to do, take action. The only problem you see is Saul is not a leader, he's a spiritual leader. And there's a world of difference between those things. A spiritual leader is to inquire of the Lord. The spiritual leader is to wait on the Lord. The spiritual leader is not to make things happen in the spiritual realm by human effort. The spiritual leader is to wait upon the Lord for a decisive action and to act as the Lord is acting. But you see, Saul, in fear, is motivated to take action. You can either act on fear or you can act on faith. You cannot act on both. You can act on faith while you feel afraid, but you're still acting on faith. But you have to choose. And Saul makes a choice. He chooses to act on fear. And he does something that is forbidden. Only the priest was allowed to make a sacrifice. But Saul moves into the priestly role and he makes a sacrifice that he is not allowed to make. This is what ends up happening. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. Talk about bad timing. 
Saul went out to greet him. You know, it strikes me as funny. He doesn't even realize what he's done is heinous to the Lord. Fear blinds you to spiritual realities. And it causes you to take action that is displeasing to God. Samuel, of course, recognizes it. He speaks to Saul and says, what have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering, which was true, and that you did not come at the set time, he was about five minutes late, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Listen, a lot of times when we're operating out of fear, we feel very compelled to act. Sometimes we even mistake it as a compelling notion from the Lord. It's not God. It's just fear. See, this is why God says more than anything else, don't be afraid. Fear not. See, the people of God make more mistakes when they act in fear than any other time. That is the compelling nature of fear. Samuel ends with these words to him. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. Please pause just for a second. Hear what he's just said to him. What he said to him was, it was God's purpose for your life that the kingdom that you started would be established in your family's lineage for all time. But now, because you have chosen to act on fear, you are missing out on your prophetic destiny. Fear robbed him and his family of his prophetic destiny. Are you catching that? Do you see the power of fear? See, this is why the Lord says it so often. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not let fear rob you from the Lord's purposes, plans in your life. You must wrestle it down. This is the lesson of Saul. Samuel ends with these words to him. He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel left Gilgal and went up to Gibeon, Benjamin, and Saul counted the men who were with him. They numbered about 600. Listen, he started with 3,000. He's now down to 600. They have 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and a whole host of foot soldiers on top of it. This guy did not have fear because he was irrational. This guy had legit fear. I mean, he was facing overwhelming odds. One of the ways that we often have fear is when the Lord is calling us to do something that we cannot accomplish by human means. We need God. You've done everything you can do. You have prayed everything you can pray. You have said everything you can say. And if God doesn't show up, there's no victory. This is when we're compelled to act in fear. It seems rational, but it cost him his kingdom. We can either act on fear or we can act on faith. We can't act on both. So it is incredibly imperative for us to figure out how do we overcome fear? And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about. I just want to talk about how do we conquer it? 
this beast. By the way, it impacts us all. God wouldn't have said it as much as he said it if it hadn't had impact on people. And so we gotta figure it out. So let me give you four things to overcome fear. You ready? Here you go, number one. First, you gotta see it, you gotta identify it. Listen, self-awareness is the gateway to transformation. It doesn't guarantee it, but you can't even get there without it. If you won't admit a problem, you have no chance to overcome the problem. Self-awareness is like a lid on your life. And so it's incredibly important for us first to just recognize when we're afraid. See, this is where Saul's problem starts. He doesn't recognize fear in his life. Please hear me, this isn't the first time fear showed up in the story for Saul. As a matter of fact, you just trace backwards a little bit. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21. When Samuel the prophet comes and says to him, God has appointed you to be the first king of Israel, you know what his first reaction is? He goes, who am I? I, I am I not a Benjamite? Am I not from the smallest clan? Are, are not I the least of all the family in the smallest clan? Who am I? You know what that is? That's fear. Please catch this. Fear makes it way too much about you. Notice his focus, who am I? Am I not? Am I not? Am I not of the least? Too much about him. See, faith has the capacity to get your eyes off of you and put them up to God. God has the capacity to do the impossible. And this was one of his big problems. This isn't the only time he struck with fear. Just a chapter later, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22, when he actually, Samuel actually goes to present him before the people for the first time. They can't find him. That's because Saul's off hiding in the luggage, in the baggage, in the supply tents. They literally have to chase him down and drag him out in front of the people. Why is he hiding? You hide when you're afraid. He's afraid. The guy has fear. This is why at the very beginning, Samuel gives him three things that are going to happen. All three things happen. He wanted him to get out of his fear, to know that he could trust the Lord whatever came. Please hear me for a second, friends. Whatever crisis you are facing in your life today, the Lord has already given you in your past what you need today to trust him for today's crisis. He has given you victories in your past that you can trust him in your present. But you've got to hold on to those things. But Saul didn't. Listen, if you want to know when you're operating out of fear, here's the thing. So for me personally, I'll start with me. I never actually felt fear in my life. Even now, today, if I'm afraid, I usually don't feel fear. It's just by nature of personality, probably. What I feel is power. I feel a surge of energy. It's that whole adrenaline thing. You know, you get this fight or flight syndrome. You get a pump of adrenaline juice in your body when fear strikes. And when I get that adrenaline, man, I feel energy. I feel power. I don't actually feel afraid. But here's what I noticed. This is how fear is identified for me. You need to do parallel learning. Some of you are very in touch with your fear. You know exactly what it feels like. But some of you are like me. You don't actually feel afraid. For me, this is what I noticed. Fear had these symptomatic expressions. First, my mind would start racing when I was afraid. And I would just have this incredible uh, energy in my mind to solve problems. That was part of my fear. And I would even obsess sometimes about a problem that needed to be solved. Second, I would feel like a tightening in my chest. It was just a physiological response to fear. I'd feel this tightening. Third, 
Um, quite frequently, when I feel afraid, I will actually, as I said, feel this kind of power. Now, that shows up relationally a lot of times where people will feel overpowered by my opinions or emotion. Sometimes, you know, I would be defensive. This showed up in our marriage all the time. Jen and I would get in discussions, arguments in early years, and she would say to me, I feel like whenever my opinion differs from your opinion, you always need to win. Your opinion always rules the day. I feel like my opinion's getting stomped on. That was fear. I couldn't identify that right away, but the power that was there, that was fear-based. So when you're operating in fear, you gotta know what it looks like. What do you think? How do you feel? How do you act when you're standing on a platform of fear? The more you can identify that, you'll have the clue to start to get victory. If you can't see it, you won't break it. That's the first key. Second, after you know, self-awareness, the second key is we're gonna have to determine what are the roots of fear inside of us. Listen, the Holy Spirit's really smart. Theology 101, God is smart. He knows stuff you don't know. And he likes to tell you, if you really don't know what's driving your fear base within you, you go to see the Holy Spirit and wait on the Holy Spirit and seek out wisdom from the Holy Spirit. He'll show you what's underneath it. He'll show you what's driving it. For me, for example, I had no idea. I had a fear of not being loved. I figured it out through processing deeply. But this is one of the symptomatic expressions of it early on in my life. Well, I started in ministry, you know, you'd be preaching on a Sunday morning and somebody would come up to you and say to you, hey, pastor after church, can I, can I meet with you this week? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, you know, when do you want to meet? And they'd be like, oh, how about Wednesday for lunch? I'd say, sure, I'd put it on my schedule. And then I'd leave church and I'd start thinking. I'd be like, hmm, I wonder why Jim wants to meet with me. What if Jim's upset with me? What is Jim upset with me about? I didn't do anything to Jim. Well, I mean, I said that one thing. I can't believe he got upset because I said that one thing. I didn't mean anything by that. What a jerk Jim is. And then I'd have this imaginary conversation. I'd think about what I was going to say, what Jim was going to say, and how I'd defend myself. And by the end, Jim would be on his knees in repentance like he should be. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. Level of laughter, level of guilt. You've had those imaginary conversations in your head. Okay? Please hear me. That is fear-based. That is fear driving that conversation. See, I never recognized that. Listen, I had those imaginary conversations all the time. You know, I finally got to the place where I realized that's fear. What is in your head when fear strikes? And I went to the, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. No more imaginary conversations. They're now illegal for me. You know, for some of you, you, you move to control when you're fearing. I'm going to help you. I'm only here for a day, so let me just help you. Okay, here it is. I'm just here to help. All right, ready? If you've ever been told you're controlling, you are. <laughs> just here to help, seriously. Please hear me. Your denial can never lead to your victory. Your denial leaves you in bondage. You can never use a tool of the kingdom of darkness to gain freedom in the kingdom of light. And if you use tools of darkness like denial, you will end up staying in the bondage of the kingdom of darkness. So the best thing we can do when we see, oh my gosh, so there's days where I'm a little controlling. P.S., probably more than a little. 
Why? What's underneath that? For some of you, you know what's underneath it is you grew up in a family that was abusive, whether it was emotional or physical or sexual abuse. And you just want control. You want safety. You didn't have it growing up. And there's fear, man. Every time you feel like things are out of control, you feel afraid. You feel threatened. So you're going to surge with power, the need to control. People around you feel it all the time from you. You got to get to what's underneath it. Listen, I, I left my position as a pastor. I was a pastor in a place for 22 years, planted a church in New England. When I left my position, you know, as I was wrestling with the, de, you know, since the decision to leave, I was struggling with fear for, for the first time over finances. By the way, I didn't identify it right again. You know what I felt? I felt anger, which is a typical feeling, by the way, that I have with fear. I feel anger, you know. And so I was just really annoyed. As a matter of fact, my wife came to me one day and she said to me, are you aware that you're angry these days? I said to her, why do you say that, sweetheart? I'm not being mean or anything. She goes, no, you're not. I said, so why do you say that? She goes, we can feel it radiating off of you. I said, yes, I'm very aware of it. She goes, why? I go, I'm trying to figure that out. I don't know. It was fear. Here's what it was. Yeah, there was a couple other issues in there too, but that's another conversation. Here's the fear that I was feeling. See, I was leaving a position where I had a really stable salary, moving into a position that was paying me half as much money. You know, professorships don't really pay that well. And on top of that, I was moving to a place that was $20,000 a year or more than where I was living. On top of that, I had three children in college, plus my wife was in college. And I'm leaving this job, and I'm going, this is insane. Who in their right mind would do this? And I had a ton of fear. I'm also, you know, I'm now, I mean, at the time I was 52. I'm now going to be 54 here shortly, and this is just an insane career move. And you know, when I wrestled it down, I realized this is just a fear of the future and finances and so. See, here's the thing. God told me he'd provide. You can either act on fear or act on faith. You can't act on both. I had to surrender. So you got to identify it. Third, if we're going to break fear, not only do we need to become self-aware and identify some of the roots, like what's underneath it, but third thing is we need to tap into the love of God. You see, it's perfect love that casts out fear. That's what John tells us, 1 John. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. See, when you're standing in the perfect love of God, you don't need to be afraid. Paul uses it well in Romans chapter 8 when he says, listen, if God is for you, who could be against you? What do you got to be nervous about? I made a deal with Jesus a number of years ago. I said, listen, if you ever get nervous, let me know. He's never let me know. He has not had a nervous day in the last couple of millennial. Whenever I feel fear, it's because I'm out of alignment with his perfect love. If I'm in alignment with his perfect love, I feel secure. John chapter 8 is one of the most famous verses. It's a wonderful verse. John chapter 8, 31 and 32. And uh, we always misquote it. That's the sad part. Here's how we quote it. We say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's exactly not what Jesus taught. This is precisely what Jesus taught. If you hold to my teaching, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth 
will set you free. It's an if-then promise. If you hold, then freedom will come. But you've got to hold to the truth. I liken it to this. It's like you, you know, when you're standing on a platform and the platform is shaky, it's an unstable platform, it's an old dilapidated platform, you're standing on that platform, you don't feel safe, you don't feel secure. That's like fear. Fear is a dilapidated, insecure platform. When you're standing on that platform, you're grasping for things, control, power, defensiveness. All those symptoms start to flow, right? I've got to actually get off that platform. Listen, there's no fixing that thing. It's the wrong platform. Instead, you have to get over here on a platform that's solid. It's the love of God. It's secure. But in order to move from that shaky old platform to this stable platform, you're going to have to hold on to the truth. That's when freedom comes. That means you're going to have to hold on to the truth over and over and over again in your life. Every time you recognize how fear is affecting your mind and your heart and your actions, those are your clues to go, whoa, 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 I'm on the wrong platform. I need to go over here and hold on to the truth. I'm a deeply loved child of God who's been chosen before the foundations of the earth. This is who I am in Christ. Now, how would a deeply loved chosen child act right? See, that's the key. You keep doing that over and over, you can break this sucker. I'll give you one last thought. And that is this. You know, once you get over there on that true platform, then you have to act on it. you got to take in the love of God, and you're going to have to surrender to God and act in faith. Now, James has this great line. He says, faith without deeds is dead. You know what the problem is? When we're acting on fear, our faith is in our fear. Your faith in the love of God is dead. In that moment, you're acting on fear. You've got more faith in fear where your focus is on yourself than you do on the love of God to get you free. And that's why we keep acting on it. We keep acting on it because our faith is in this dead platform. It's all about us. Listen, this you know, came to light for me because of a marriage struggle early on. That's how I figured this stuff out. Jen and I got to a place, church was growing, good things were happening in ministry, but we got to a place where my wife didn't like me anymore. I never realized I had a fear of not being loved until the one I loved the most in the world no longer loved me. And when that happened, man, I'm telling you, stuff broke loose inside. Like, I was, my mind was racing for solutions, and I wanted to really fix this relationship. I was obsessing about it. My heart was pounding, and man, it was, it was a shaky platform. And I could feel the trembling and uh, when we started having these conversations to try to fix things, you know, I would tell Jen, you know, what are you upset about? You know, why don't you like me anymore? And she'd tell me what she was upset about. And, you know, I'm feeling hurt, right? And I'm feeling insecure. On this platform, you never have the security necessary to hear the truth and receive it. Insecure people can never receive truth. And so I would defend myself. But of course, you know, if you're the hurt one and you now have someone defending themselves, of course, you don't feel listened to, you don't feel heard, you don't feel loved, so you know what you do? You escalate. So she would escalate. Now I'm feeling more hurt, more defensive, so I'd defend more. I kept using power. Why? Because it was driving fear inside of me, which I didn't know. Finally, one day, you know, I, I just, we were having conversations that were going no place. We weren't getting anywhere in our marriage. And finally, one day, I just sought the Lord. See, this is what spiritual leaders do. They inquire of the Lord. They don't just act out of their fear. 
And so I went to the Lord and I just said, you know, we're stuck. I don't even know how to fix this. You need to help me. First thing the Lord said to me was, stop defending yourself. I said to him, but you don't understand, that's one of my best tools. <laughs> I said, you know, I mean, not defending myself would be like I'm, I'm coming naked to a razor fight. I mean, this is a dumb idea, Lord. I love you. No. Are you serious? He said to me, every time you defend yourself, you are deflecting the light I offer that could set you free. He said, insecure people defend themselves. People who are secure in my love do not need to defend themselves. I said, okay, Lord, you got it. I will not defend myself anymore. So I went into these conversations with Jen. She tells me what she's upset about. You please hear me. I felt defensive because I'm still living in fear. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't defend myself. I just listened. I mean, my anxiety and my chest was through the roof. My mind is racing. I'm feeling hurt and angry, all kinds of junk, power. But I would say to her, so what I hear you saying are three things, A, B, and C. She'd say, yeah, or she'd correct it, and I'd finally get it right and say, so A, B, and C, she'd say yes. And then I would say this, okay, I'm going to go pray, and I'll come back to you, I promise. She'd say, okay, I'd go upstairs. I'd get alone with the Lord. You know what I was doing for the first 45 minutes? I'm just getting on this platform that I'm a deeply loved, chosen child. I'm holding on to the truth. Every day I would say this phrase to myself, I want Jen to like me. Life will be better if Jen likes me, but even if Jen doesn't like me, I'm gonna be okay because Jesus loves me and that's enough for me. Now, how would a deeply loved chosen person act right now? You know what a deeply loved chosen person would do? They'd be secure enough in the love of the Father to own what they need to own. And so I'd say to the Lord, what are these three things she said to me are true? He'd say, these two are true. And then I would go back into conversation with her and i say, you know, the Lord told me these two things you said were true. I need to own that. Please forgive me for that. The next time I act like that, tell me. I really want to be a different man. So you can do that when you're secure. Security gives you the platform to change. Do you know what happened over years when I kept holding on and kept acting as a deeply loved person this platform became solid under my feet and I became a deeply loved person. I'll tell you a story and just to close, just to see the difference years later. A number of years ago, well, I guess it was two, two years ago, something like that, maybe three, my wife went back into the workplace. You know, she got, she had stayed home with the kids and raised kids and so on. So she goes back into the workplace. She starts off as a part-time secretary in a, in a higher ed institution. And within six months, she's a head of finance. She's a super, super smart girl. Just bright, 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 4.0 student. And so anyways, she gets you know, recognized right away and promoted in the workplace. And oh my gosh, she is so excited, right? She's been a stay-at-home mom and now she's back in the workplace and she's getting promotions. And you know, she's got all kinds of energy going with this thing. Super excited. And she comes home one night and she's like reading a book. It's called Never Eat Alone. It's a networking book, right? And she's so excited. She's like, oh, she goes, I'm reading this book. And this guy says, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about networking with all these people. And honestly, man, I'm like, it's triggering stuff in me, right? I'm thinking, this is the worst book in the world. I hate this book. This book sucks. <laughs> so I just, out of my platform of fear, I'm just like, rah, you know, about this book. And I have this overreaction, which happens all the time when you're in fear. And she just shuts it down. She's like, I don't know who that psycho was, but wow. I'm like, what was that? 
Uh, I went out of that conversation, you know, we were sitting in the bathroom actually brushing our teeth, it was bedtime, went into the other room, and I realized, like, well, that was irrational. Whew, what was that, you know? So I know, when power comes up, you see, that's a sign I'm in fear. So I unpack it real quick. Took me 45 seconds. I go back into the bathroom. I said to her, listen, let me unpack that for you. I said, so... I said, here, you know, I'm traveling around the world these days, and so I'm not home a lot. I said, now you're, you know, getting promoted in the workplace, and you're talking about networking, building relationships with people. And I said, it just strikes into all my fear stuff. I'm afraid I'm going to be gone. Some guy's going to come in. He's going to sweep you off the feet. You're still a beautiful, compelling, uh, just a tremendous individual, winsome. And so somebody's going to sweep you off your feet, and I'm going to be left alone. And it's just my fear of not being loved. It's all my crap. You keep networking. I'll deal with my crap. We'll be fine. She literally, she looks at me and she goes, you unpacked that in 45 seconds? I said, no, sweetheart, I've been unpacking that for 50 years. I've learned to live off this platform. Oh, I still visit that platform, but I live on this platform. Please hear me for a second. Some of you, like me, before, You're living on this platform. And today's the day for you to recognize and go, I can't live here anymore. I gotta live there. I've gotta take these truths that the gospel and I've got to integrate them in my life. I can't just live here. And if that's true for you today, you know, I, I'm just going to give you two things. Here's the first. I just want you to make a covenant with God. Just make a decision with God and say, you know what? I've been living on fear way too long. It's, it's, it's showing up in my life. There's control issues. There's anger. There's power. There's escapism. There's all kinds of junk, Lord. It's time for me to give it up. Time for me to hold on. And some of you, you know, there's going to be people around the pastoral staff. Prayer team's going to be around the, the edges here. Some of you, honestly, you're just going to have to go after the roots. You're going to have to come and have somebody pray with you. There's people here today. Don't take it home with you. Let's pray together. Lord, it's not an accident. You told us to fear not. The major human problem. Fear is a major human problem. And we can either act on fear, or we can act on faith. We can't act on both. Today, Lord, I pray you'd shine light into our inner beings where we're acting on fear. Would you please show us? One of the things I love about you, you never show us stuff to make us feel bad. You show us stuff to get us free. So show us, not to condemn us, show us to get us free from fear. It's a crippling thing that robs all kinds of people from their prophetic destinies. Do not let fear rob us from who we could be. So today, show us and help us begin the process of change with you. You've given us the security. Help us to live out of it. I pray it in Jesus' name.